0: Well, if you want to open your Bibles to uh, Colossians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. And for all you note-takers, I'm a, I'm a note-taker, um, I've entitled the sermon, In Christ, In Christ. And I'll have three points, because I always roll with three points. Uh, but uh, uh, if I see you looking down the entire time at your Bible, that's okay. So you can either get away with a nap... Or you can follow along uh, in the passage. But what, that's, what I'll really do is I'll go word by word, right? And verse by verse, methodically working through this, uh, through this passage. Because I do, I want you to be able to, to leave here, being able to go and explain it to somebody else. Uh, be able to teach somebody uh, maybe a, at work or uh, teach a family member. Well, the tradition has waned uh, just a little bit, uh, probably due to Maria. But it used to be that every uh, Wednesday night over at our Coast Guard housing base, we would play um, uh, volleyball. We'd have like a Wednesday night volleyball uh, night, and we'd bring uh, hot dogs, uh, barbecue. Uh, The kids would run around on the playground. The adults would hop on the outdoor volleyball court, and we would commence an evening time fun. But all the fun didn't feel like it began until someone connected their iPhone to the uh, Bluetooth uh, Bose speaker to set uh, the courts uh, a play and give us a little Top Gun-type inspiring volleyball music as the background. And it's always eclectic, you know, from Nirvana uh, to the Jackson 5, from Journey to Backstreet Boys, my favorite. And every now and then, uh, for my sake, they'll throw in a little Michael W. Smith. That's when my serve becomes pretty killer. Um, and a little bit of a few uh, Christian songs. Uh, so not too long ago, a song popped up on the Bose speaker while we're sitting there playing by a Megan Trainer. Okay, I don't know who this is, and uh, was, the song came on. It's called "Me Too," right? It was immediately catchy. It's a catchy song. Uh, I wasn't paying in, a, attention initially, but then I heard the trigger words. I thank God every day. I was like, oh, "Great! This is—it's a, a Christian artist. That was kind of him to play a, a song for me." You know, this is somebody I haven't heard of before, so. Uh, So it went on, right? I thank God every day uh that I woke up feeling this way. I can't believe some of you know this song. And it is catchy. And I can't help loving myself. And I'm like, uh uh-oh, right? And I don't need nobody else. If I was you, I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. And, and I like, what on earth am I listening to? What is this? If I, if, if I want to be me too, if I was you, I would want to be me too. And all of a sudden, they all, they all laughed at me. But I milked it the rest of the night. You know, if I made a good, if I made a good play, hey, if I were you, I'd want to be me too, you know. Uh but honestly, I, you know, I, I, I started thinking to myself, is there nothing else that we can sing about? <laughs> is, this, is this what we have come to? Uh, it's almost mind-boggling. If I were you, I'd want to be me too. I mean, I know I have pride deeply seated in my heart, but I don't know if I have the audacity to actually pin those words, let alone put them into music. But in all honesty, it's hard not to just contemplate those words. Just like think about those words, you know, from the volleyball court back at home. If I was you... That's the only thing you guys are going to get from this sermon. This is awful. You're going to walk away remembering these lyrics and nothing more. If I was you, I'd want to be me too, right? I'd want to be me too, right? Do I subconsciously think that? Do I... I, Is is that in in the back of my mind? If I were you, I'd want to be me too. And honestly, for me personally, I know my pride. Uh, I know I have pride. But I'll be honest, I usually... I think, I most, most often think the opposite. I've most often than not wished I was somebody else. I don't know about you, right? I wish I was physically fit like him. I wish my mind worked as fast as his. I wish I had his talents. I wish I had her storytelling abilities. I wish I had his looks and popularity. I wish I was godly like her. I wish I had his coolness. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. You know, But honestly, in my line of work as a chaplain, the people who come to speak with me uh, usually are the ones that typically want to be somebody else, all right? I hate myself, they tell me, right? I wish I could be just like someone else. Why can't I be like him? Why can't I have her life? Why did I have to have my life? But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are, there's those people who come in uh, into my office, and, and, and they're the type of people that, want to, that make you feel inferior around them. They put you down, they show you your shortcomings, and some take it to the extreme level of writing lyrics. If I were you, I'd want to be me too. But to be fair, not all people live in these extremes. Some people are very content with who they are. But more often than not, when I get people behind doors, I find that they're either very self-defeated or arrogantly self-confident, right? All about themselves. But to be sure, the cure for both... The one who wishes they were someone else and the one who wishes others were like him or her is one and the same. In order to fundamentally see yourself rightly, to find your ultimate identity, to have the right type of esteem or to keep yourself humble, is not to look inward or toward yourself, not to the person to your left or to your right, but to look at yourself and to see yourself and to find your identity ultimately in your Savior, in your Lord, in Christ, your King, the King of glory. Okay? So when you, as Christians, right here, Trinity, think, think of yourself, even of your fellow Christians, it should always be with the tagline, in Christ. Hi, I'm Luke, in Christ. Right. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, why? Because, as Christians, you are in union with Christ. I am in Christ. We as Trinity Church are in Christ. It's a cure-all. It's a cure to depression. It's the cure to pride. It's the cure to your sense of lack of purpose. It's the cure to disunity. Right? It's the cure to who you are. You are in Christ. We are what we are only by virtue of being in Christ, in union with him. And that's what Paul gets at in this passage that we're going to wrestle through with this morning. Using the verbiage of in him In Christ, with Christ, over and over and over again. And and if you've uh, read any of Paul's letters, he uses this terminology all through his writings because in order to navigate the world's lies and challenges and hardships, it can only be done in Christ. Walking, being captivated, seeing yourself, right? So let's take a look at our text this morning, and I've broken up the passage into three points, right? Walk in Christ, be captivated in Christ, and see yourself in Christ. Are you ready? So number one, I'm going to read verses six and seven of chapter two. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Alright, so just a quick survey. Did, did you all have to uh, diagram sentences in high school and middle school? Right? Do they still do that? I hated doing that. All right. You show how all the words, they fit together, um, how the sentence was structured and how the sentences connected to one another. Um, Uh, So, the irony that the Lord would have me deconstruct sentences for a living is comical. But, as you know, arguments are built on propositions. And each proposition typically has some type of connector word that explains how it fits into the whole. Words like, and, but... Furthermore, just as, because, so that, nevertheless, right? So we, tip, we typically intuitively know how all of these words, how they work together, even when they're not there, right? So when we look at the first word of Colossians 2.6, we read the word, therefore. And the question you should always ask when you see the word therefore is, what is the therefore, therefore, okay? Because the word therefore means that a main point is coming, right, and that everything that was said before was, su- was said to support the main point, right, so my wife is a diehard Patriots fan, therefore, if they had lost the Super Bowl this year, it would be a miserable year for me, but if they won, I'd have to regularly hear about it, I have to regularly hear about it, right, right, so on your own, right, uh, ushers, So on your own, uh, this week, if you look at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Paul was warning the Colossian church not to be duped, okay? Not to be duped. Not to let anyone delude you with plausible arguments that sound good, that sound good, but are devoid of of a gospel that has salvation coming through Christ alone, right? That only in Christ is there found true salvation. Only in Christ is there found true spiritual maturity. And only in Christ can you see the world, the world clearly. Chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you had these people coming into the church and trying to dupe them away from the true gospel. Therefore, after all of that, Paul says, as you you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, right? Don't be duped by walking in any other path. Salvation and spiritual maturity and true wisdom is only found in Christ. So walk with him, verse 6, okay? Are you following? All right, now, I also find it fascinating how Paul here in verse 6 identifies Jesus when he says, therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, Right? Many, uh, many Christians often have a one-sided view of Christ in that God has graciously given Jesus to you as your Savior, which is absolutely true and glorious and certainly the focal point of this letter. But God has also graciously given him to you as your Lord, right? Which means he's now your king. This is the king of glory. The king of glory, he's your king. The king of, the king of kings, he's in authority. There's safety there is comfort as you, as God's people, knowing that your king is the king of kings. There is no one above him, but that also means you're no longer to walk by the, on your own. You're no longer to walk by the beat of your own drum, but your life and your doctrine is to come under the submission of Christ Jesus as your Lord, right, in every area of life. That's why Paul goes on in verse 7 to say that we are to be rooted in. And built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. They knew these things just as you were taught. Just as you were taught. You know these things, right? Most of us know these things, the truths of Christ. You, you were taught these things, but are they planted in your life? Are they planted in life? in our life. And it's fun to see Paul now explode with imagery in those words, rooted like a tree and built up like a building and established, a word used in the Greek for settled law, right? In other words, our root system, our building, our doctrine, it is strong, right? It's firm and it's unwavering. No other teaching, no other philosophy, no other li- religion, no other way of thinking can or should rival or, or rattle our gospel that we have, that God has given us, that we're to live by, right? In Christ, we are to walk in complete confidence because our immovable, unchanging, ever-reliable Lord who has saved us by grace, abounding in thanksgiving, Paul says. Father, thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Spirit, thank you for opening my eyes to the truth. God, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for this new identity. This new idea, that my identity is not bound up in power and money and looks and status and pleasure anymore. But now it's, it's bound up in Christ. Bounding in thanksgiving. So Paul says, walk in Christ as your unshakable Lord, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay? Which brings us to our second point. Number two. And I'm, I'm just going to read verse, verse 8. Number two, be captivated in Christ. And Paul goes on to say, see to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And unfortunately, appealing to this verse on religious grounds will not get you out of high school or college philosophy course. Uh, I tried it several times. I remember looking through the required courses I'd have to take at the Christian University I'd be attending and seeing enter to philosophy, and I thought, what kind of heathen school is this? All right? But just to simplify that a little bit, is the word philosophy is actually a transliteration from the two Greek words, what? Philos, love, right and Sophia, wisdom. So, the love of wisdom. And the way we understand the field of philosophy today is that it asks basic questions about life and how it all works, like... What is real? How do we know? What's right? What's wrong? What is beauty? How do we reason? And how do we argue? How do we define the abstract? How do we govern ourselves? And the list goes on. And as we know, philosophical conclusions have consequences. The pen is mightier than the sword, right? They do. We are constantly living within the framework of the philosophical conclusions of those that came before us, from government to law to art, and just on the immediate level, how this building was built, right? What it looks like uh, on the inside, uh, what you're wearing, uh, how long I publicly speak, you know, how we choose our songs, the duration of a service, right? And those philo- philosophical conclusions have consequences. We, we philosophize about everything, Right? And we implement philosophical categories even to explain things in Scripture, like the word Trinity, right? The word is nowhere used in the Bible. It's a word that was invented in the process of philosophizing. How do we explain that God is one in being, yet three in persons, right? He is tri, three, unity, one, Trinity, right? That's how we come to these conclusions. So philosophy can be good, It's the process of thinking and asking questions, explaining, and God calls us to ask and think and explain. But here in Colossae, there was a a philosophy that sought to explain how to relate to God devoid of a true version of Christ. So it was a Christless philosophy. It was a Christless religion. Are you following? In fact, Paul said it was deceitful. It was empty deceit promising someone a big cup of refreshing water in a desert land, but the cup was absolutely empty. And Paul goes on to say it was according to human tradition. In other words, it was, it was made up by man. And even more, Paul says it was, according, it, it was according to the elemental spirits of the world. In other words, this teaching was demonic. It was satanic. He was the father of lies who's been deceitful from the beginning. And again, Paul goes on to say that this religion... This philosophy was deceitful because it was not according to Christ. In other words, it didn't teach a biblically truthful version of who Jesus was in the gospel. That salvation was by grace, through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? And just to be clear, there were elements of Christ in the religion. We learn that as Paul describes this philosophy throughout the letter, but Jesus wasn't the centerpiece. Jesus wasn't... The head, right? He wasn't the supreme Lord. Jesus wasn't the way and the truth and the life. He was offset a bit, right? And this goes for various religions and philosophies today. Some religions are completely devoid of Christ, so those are easy to see as deceitful and satanic. It's the religions or philosophies that keep Christ but set him to the side. A little bit in their explanation, have how one is saved. Those are the ones that are more difficult to recognize, right? Now, hear me carefully. Mormons, they make confessing Joseph Smith as a prophet a stipulation for heaven, right? Offsetting Christ alone. Jehovah Witnesses, they reduce God, Christ, to a god rather than God Himself offsetting Christ's supreme glory. Now, be careful with this one. Catholicism requires certain sacramental actions to gain access to God. And those actions, at best, will only get you purgatory, where you will have to pay off the punishment for the rest of your life for that sin, making Christ's death on the cross deficient. Again, offsetting Christ's finished work on the cross alone, right? Right? And when you walk into maybe a Mormon church, a Jehovah Witness church, a Catholic church, they certainly talk a lot about Jesus, and they may have a lot of pictures of Jesus everywhere, but their version of the gospel are ultimately not according to Christ because they don't put Jesus at the center as the only means by which we must be saved, as the way, as the truth, as the life, as the blazing center, okay? Satan is tricky. That's why Paul says, don't let anyone take you captive and steal you away from anything that doesn't have Christ as the centerpiece, as the only means by which we might be saved. Instead, if you're going to be taken captive to anything, be taken captive to Christ and Christ alone, right? Be captivated by Christ. Let him steal you unto himself. So walk in Christ. Be captivated in Christ. And lastly, see yourself in Christ. Right? And I'm going to be reading from verses 9 through 15 if you want to follow along. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. "...by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead." You'd heard me say seven times in these verses, in him, in him, in him, with him, with him, with him, in him, right? Are you getting the point? starting to get the point? You always make the main point of the text the main point of your sermon. It makes it pretty easy, right? You have to see yourself in Christ, right? Now, there's a lot of things going on in these verses, okay? But to put this as simply as possible... Uh, at the outset, Paul is saying Jesus is fully God and you are fully in Jesus. You died, were buried, and rose again with Jesus. You are alive and united in Christ and completely forgiven, totally forgiven. And no one can accuse you, not even angels, because Jesus has triumphed over Satan in his demonic realm. Okay, so verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, Jesus is truly God and truly man. The full nature of God and the full nature of man is in the one person of Jesus. It's beyond our our finite minds can comprehend. In the theological world, we call it the hypostatic union, right? Jesus is indivisibly God and man. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority. So just as Jesus is truly God, you are truly in him and he is truly in you. There is now an inseparability with us and Christ. How cool is that? Right? You're in Christ. We are in Christ, and there is no one above Christ, no angel, no other so-called God. He's the head. He's over all things, and so since we are in Christ, there's no ruler or authority that is ultimately above us. That's why we don't live in the fear of man. No man controls our destiny. We are in Christ, and our destiny is secure. It's bound up in him. And that's why Paul goes on in verses 11 and 12 to speak of how, of how just as Jesus died, was buried and rose to life, so you too in Christ have died, were buried and rose to life. And Paul uses tricky analogies, very tricky analogies in these verses, okay? You ready to put your thinking caps on? Look at your Bible. This will be fun to discuss over lunch. He says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And as we know, circumcision was a sign given to the Jewish boys on the eighth day after their birth. It was meant to set them apart as God's people, but it was also to be a physically visible reminder that Israel's very existence, right, that any type of procreation that was happening, if you're following with what I'm trying to say, was purely a gift of God. It's to be a physical reminder, any type of, of children. It's a gift of God. But in our passage here in Colossians, Paul is using the word circumcision to highlight the poignant imagery of the death of the foreskin, okay? The death of the flesh. flesh. So just as the foreskin is cut off with hands and dies, yes, he's comparing us to foreskin, right? Likewise, we in Christ have died a similar death, yet without hands, the death of our old sinful self because of the real death of Christ. So in Christ, we died, right? In verse 12, he goes on, and having been buried with him in baptism, in other words, just as Jesus died and was buried, he went into the grave, so you too died, and as it were, went under the water. In fact, that's what the word baptism means, to immerse, to go under. You were down under the water, dead, unable to breathe, but, verse 12, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You were brought up out of the water uh, to life by God's power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So just as Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, so you too have died, were buried, and rose again. Just as Christ is alive, you are alive, right? You are alive, and, and it was all by an act of God alone, which is why we read it was through faith, It's never faith in in ourselves. It's not faith in living a good life. It's not faith in our accomplishments. You take zero credit for your salvation because what do we read here? It's by the powerful working of God alone, right? By the powerful working of God. And if there's any confusion, Paul goes on to reiterate in verses 13 and 14 one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. You got to memorize this verse, right? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So you and I, we were dead. 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 We were dead because of our sin. We were cut off from a life of God. We were not his people. We were Gentiles. We are Gentiles. You and I couldn't be in a worse scenario than what we were in. But God, but God, right? But God, Martin Lloyd-Jones, known as the Prince of Preachers, used to say that these two words in and of themselves, in a sense, contains the whole of the gospel. But God, he made us alive. Who made us alive? God made us alive. He brought us to life together with him in relationship with him. He did this by forgiving us all of our sin. How much of our sin? How much of our sin? How much of your sin? All of your sin. (laughs) All the trespasses. Everything from this week. Everything from this morning. All of our trespasses we have committed. All our adultery, idolatry, our drunkenness, our murders. Our theft, our hatred, our contempt, our grumbling hearts, our lies, our pride, all these things resulted in an insurmountable amount of debt that we owed, a debt which was legally demanded, right, by, uh, which legally demanded our eternal death. But the list of all our trespasses, right, it's listed, it's written all down in a really thick book, super thick book. All our sins, all our idolatries were taken from us and placed on Jesus where he was nailed to the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And it gets even better, Paul. And 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us into a triumphal procession. And that's what we read here in our last verse, here in verse 15. He, Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. (laughs) And it's a picture of a victorious king on his horse coming back to the city, this king of glory, Right from battle, with all his enemies chained up, walking behind him, naked and powerless, for us all to see. And Jesus is that victorious King, and you are you and I are on the horse with Him. Right, those who might persecute us have zero power over us. Demons, they have zero power over us. Governmental authorities, they have zero power over us. Right, Satan has zero power over us. They may accuse us. They may cause us to suffer. I feel like Mel Gibson and Braveheart. They may take our lives, but they will not take our freedom. They will never take away our ultimate resurrection, right? What we have in Christ, this is our identity. You and I are in Christ. We're to walk in Christ. We're to be captivated in Christ. We're to see ourselves in Christ. He's our king, our king of glory. Now, isn't it all the more shocking to hear the lyrics if I were you, I'd want to be me, too. I'd want to be me, too. Right? It's like if you're standing on the beach at sunset and saying, Hey, let's go down and look at the hole, in the hole of a portage The hubris of wanting others to be you, right? To be me. To look at me. And even the emptiness of trying or wanting to be someone else. When Christ stands as the triumphant king over all things and isn't it comforting that the best version of yourself is not being someone else but it's you being found in Christ right if you want to be you then see yourself in Christ too then see yourself in Christ too then see yourself in Christ too I know that was a bit tacky but you get the point right and if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ don't miss out on truly finding yourself right lose yourself and find yourself In Christ, let Christ be our identity. Don't trust in yourself. You'll always disappoint yourself and others will always disappoint you. Trust in Christ. He'll always be reliable. Pray to God, save me. Open my eyes. Father, I trust in your son Christ alone to save me, to forgive me of my sin. If that's something that you want to do this morning, please talk to me, right? You talk to Pastor Ronnie. Talk to someone to your left and to your right. Don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. It is, so Trinity, you're in Christ. That's your encouragement today. You get to go out with this identity, this truth. Right? You're in Christ. We, we're to walk in Christ. We're to be captivated in Christ. We're to see ourselves in Christ. That's the gracious identity God has given you. So let's now go with this truth as we celebrate this Lord's Supper, pointing us to the cross that, that in all ways accomplished it all. Amen? Amen.